Hello, everyone, and welcome to Wednesday Night Live. My name is Ron Crawford, and I'm coming to you from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas, and it's a great blessing to be able to reach out today and share the Word of the Lord to all of my congregation here in Dallas and those affiliated with our church. Um, God bless you today, and to our Saints Network family, it's Wonderful thing to know that um, we are tied together by the love of the Lord and by our commitment to interceding. And over the years, God has shown us from his word many wonderful, wonderful truths that are not readily perceived by those who study the Bible. I'm not saying that That makes us better than anyone else. I'm not saying that we have some kind of a super spiritual kind of of a vibe. But what I am saying is that I believe God has activated through his saints what the scripture speaks about of pneumaticos understanding. And pneumaticos really is a type of a uh, specialization in understanding how the Word of God applies to the spirit realm. And um, this is a term that is used in the New Testament quite a bit. And pr- pr- most, uh, most notably to me is when the Apostle Paul was writing to the church at Corinth and he said uh, that his words were going to be brought forth, and that he wanted the prophets and the spiritual ones, the pneumaticos, to judge and to confirm that what he was saying was really of God. I remember in seminary a couple of times, professors would opine regarding what the spiritual ones mean, and their, their statement was that it was just people who believed in speaking in tongues. Well, I can tell you right now, having grown up in a Pentecostal environment, which I am very grateful for, being trained in um, the the best schools in the Pentecostal movement, that just because somebody speaks in tongues, as glorious as that is, does not make them an expert in the things of the Spirit. I can tell you that right now. In fact, uh, it may be the opposite. It, 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 it may be that um, anything that is not found in their personal experience, whether that was just going up to a prayer line and then speaking a few words in tongues or being in the ministry for a long time, that that somehow uh, made them an expert. And if something was different from what they had perceived, well, that can't be of God. We have it all. And... To me, that negates the promise that the Word of God is alive. And there are un- we speak about the unsearchable riches, but then we, um, we have a tendency to say that we've searched out all the riches. Well, we have all the riches. Well, there's an incongruency there. I mean, you, you cannot have all the treasures and still believe that there are unsearchable riches. I mean, so 
Um, one of the things that we love as saints is that as we pray and as we spend time before the Father, that God leads us by his word and the spirit of truth guides us into things that had previously been hidden. And there are constant revelations from the word of God that are coming forth of the deeper truths that are embedded there in the eternal word of God. We will always be seeing this if we're willing to see it. And um, the, you know, the, the onus of what truth is in the New Testament is that pursuit under the directive of the Spirit to find things that were hidden that are no longer hidden. And so uh, I am very grateful to be walking in this pathway uh, with those that are serving the Lord in the saints' network. We cherish the Word of God. We are not speaking some other gospel. We are talking about what God's Word says. We study to show ourselves approved and and that can be intimidating to those that feel they have it all locked up. And even my saying that causes some people to cringe. But you have to say it. You have to say it. Because if you don't say it, complacency sets in. Now, again, you have to guard yourself uh, uh, against the idea that because God has shown you these things that Somehow that puts you in a, uh, a, a prideful position. And Solomon was um, in, that, in that boat. And the enemy came against the Apostle Paul because of the abundance of visions and revelation that the Spirit was giving him. And the enemy attacked him. It's, it's an easy thing to surrender and to say, you know what, we've done enough. Let's just hang on here. Uh, I call a truce. We've got enough. We've we've we'll just wait for the rapture. And let's just keep doing the things we've done. Let's just keep entertaining people. And that is not going to cut it in in the world we're living in. We need every measure of commune with the Father that His Scripture affords us. We need every measure of understanding of the deeper things of his word. And how do you find these deeper things? Well, you, you're willing to study. I, I can tell you the pattern that we've seen as we pray. It's that principle of to do and to teach, which is in the first part of the book of Acts, as it described what Jesus did. Um, as, as we pray and as we obey the Lord, God shows us things in his word. And then as we study them and we trace how the spirit, the divine author, used those terms and those words in the scripture, we discover all kinds of things that are glorious. And so I've noticed, and anyone who's been paying attention recently has noticed, that the spirit has been fine-tuning uh, our pursuits of understanding and really toward an end of empowering us upon the foundation of what he's shown us in the Word. And 
you know, I I think back over the things that we've even discussed in the past couple of weeks from very clear passages of Scripture that, in all honesty, are usually either glossed over or, um, as you're reading them, you're thinking about other things. Like on this past Sunday, when we spoke out of John, 1 John 5 about John telling us that if we see a brother sin, we can go before the Father, and um, if if he misses the mark, maybe he's taking time off, uh, unauthorized time off. Maybe he's knows he's supposed to be doing something or standing in the gap, and he's he's gotten discouraged or worn, and he's not doing it what he's supposed to do before the Father, and to him that knows to do good and does it not, it's sin. We're not talking a doctrine of soteriology here. We're not talking about how someone can become born again. This is a brother. Note that, a brother in 1 John 5. You can go before the Father and ask God to assuage that that gap in obedience or whatever that sin may be where he diverted from the mark, where he diverted from the path, and ask God to release life. That is an incredible rhema for us. And we must consider why God showed that to us. It's in his word, undeniably. And I I would just be honest, most Christians read that and then they, they throw up their Catholic barriers and they think of the priests in the confessional booth. And so they just bypass it. I'm just, it's just the truth. But that is an empowerment that is, this, that scripture is something that the Spirit guided us to, and it's an empowerment in the fields of battle in these days. Now, we need every saint to be functional, and we don't need to be losing people who go AWOL, or as Daniel prophesied, that the enemy in the end time would seek to wear out the saints. We need to recognize that the scripture said that for a reason, and if we perceive a brother who is or a sister who is being worn out in the field of battle, we need to very humbly go before the Father and deliberate on their behalf. That's bearing one another's burden. That's shoring up the line, and we need that. You know, we're a remnant. We can't. We 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 can't. Um, uh, we can't just think that people are expendable. And um, you know, I I I believe that that is an empowering word that that God has given us, as well as others over the past many months now. It seems that we're still gaining understanding of, of things that that the Spirit is guiding us into in the Word, building upon the foundations that He's already given us. And I would think those foundations are, number one, a general understanding of the Word, a general foundational understanding of the Word, believing that it is God-breathed, inspired, and errant, but to know the basics of the Word. That's our foundation. But then upon that, God, through intercession and through humble 
pursuits of study, God will guide us into deeper understandings of that word. And it, it troubles me sometimes when, I, I, as a leader, I hear pneumatikos people talking about very deep things, and some of the statements they make tell me they don't understand even the rudimentary things of the word. Now, I'm not trying to be critical, but I have responsibility for people. And so we, we just need to know, and it's a simple thing to know, the foundational things of the word. We are a treasured nation. Uh, we have resources just to understand the basics of the word. Um, what what was the time frame as we spoke about last week where Zephaniah and Jeremiah were ministering? What was that time frame? What was that doing leading into the time of Babylon, the captivity? I mean, you don't have to you don't have to obsess with it, but at least you need to be familiar with it. And so, um, but but we we build upon the foundation and our love for the Word, and then God brings things to us that are wonderful gifts from Him. I love to study the Word. I love to hear the Spirit guide into a new understanding of truth in his word. And I cringe when I hear sometimes, I don't listen to a lot of uh, a lot of the mainstream teachers, but I cringe sometimes when I hear some, not all, but some prophetic gleanings that speak things forth in a thus saith the Lord fashion, and I think, wait a second... Right off the bat, your heart may be right, but what you're saying doesn't line up with what the Word says. I'm not talking about tradition here. I'm not talking about individual doctrine here. I'm talking about the Word. You know, some people dismiss things. I remember when we were called before denominational officials, and we were, um, during our worship times, we were offering up prophetic uh, worship as you know, we, we veered, God forbid, from hymns and started to be sing spiritual songs, uh, or some of our people were dancing before the Lord during the worship times, or we were uh, in intercession on our face before God, and we were called and questioned about that. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to, uh, here, here it is with all humility, here it is in the scripture. Boom, 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 boom. This is it. This is this is this is that, as Peter said. And even though I showed the word, they weren't willing to hear it. I don't have any time for. Ain't nobody got time for that. I don't have time for that. We we have to we have to go forward, uh, growing in grace, and growing in the things of the Spirit, growing in our understanding of the Word, because we're going to need it. Just in our walk with God, it's a treasure. But in the days to come, we need to understand what the Spirit is giving us in the nuances of understanding. If we don't, we're going to be lacking in the field of battle. And it could cost us deeply. So, today we have uh, an outline and we're going to look at a, a study... Uh, the outline title is Rejoice. 
And this particular measure of rejoicing is not in the New Testament. It's a a New Testament base, but it lines up with the Old Testament. You'll see how. I love it when you have direct quotes from the Old Testament in the New Testament, because then you can compare the word that the Spirit uh, ordained in the New Testament with its direct parallel in the Old Testament. I love those. It is such such a great blessing to discover that. But the, the, the term in the New Testament that we're going to look at is, uh, it's, it's translated as rejoice, is euphreno. And there at the top of your sheet, you see that it is EU, which is good and perfect. It really represents the tobe purpose of God in the New Testament. And our old friend, friend. I remember several months ago we were studying about how that our affections uh, and our understandings are described in the New Testament by this term friend or phroneo. And we studied about how that medically that term speaks about a, uh, a part of our spine in the neck region that um, that controls the breathing, that controls our lungs and how we breathe, the musculature and the pulse of breathing. And it's, it's a medical term. You can look it up. And uh, so we deduced from the study of the Scripture and from that understanding that for a person to really uh, be de- depicting their affections to God and gaining spiritual understanding that you have to be in contact with God and you have to be allowing the Spirit to breathe through you and you you spending time with Him. And through that contact of being um, devoted to God, wanting the breath of God, we used to sing all those choruses in in old-time Pentecost, breathe on me. Let the breath of God now breathe through me. And I don't know what we were thinking back then. I, I didn't really think much about it. I mean, for us, it was, are you filled with the Spirit? That meant you spoke in tongues at least once. And But, but to really be breathing the Spirit was not something we focused a whole lot on. And I'll just be very honest with you. And I was around quite a bit. Now, some of you diehards probably say, oh, yes, we knew that. Well, bless you. But most did not give much thought to what it meant to really have the Spirit breathe through us. Or really the fact that we have the Spirit within us that is born again. We give that up born again but through the blood of Christ and only through that we give that spirit up when we die and um, that that spirit within is what the Bible says praise when we pray in other tongues look it up it's good reading if I speak in an unknown tongue my my spirit prays that deposit of the Lord. And it's there's a continual battle within you as to whether the spirit within 
is going to gain dominance or the mind is going to gain dominance. The mind is always at war with that. So you have to subjugate the mind and train the mind and gird up the loins of the mind so that you can be a spiritual creature honoring God. And so that whole frame, which was a really great series of understandings, um, describes how we have affections for God. It's not a matter of the mind or emotion. It's a matter of spirit. And also how we gain understanding in the things of the spirit. It's all built off that friend, which means breathing. And it's, uh, it's interesting that the connection of the, the, the spine is not in the middle of the back, like you would maybe think, closer to the lungs. It's up in the neck, which I pastored for a long time, and there have been a number of people that have been in my church that have really been pains in the neck. And they come against, they're stiff-necked, as the Bible said, which is, which is not, uh, not to allow yourself to be circumcised, not to be willing to move with the Spirit. You're set in your ways. You're indignantly set. And if you're that way, you're not going to really receive much from God, and you're going to hinder, to the best of your ability, obstinately, the fresh breath of the Spirit. See, these are all things that are there in the Word. And so that's what God has shown us in, in the past months about affections and understandings and breathing and allowing the Spirit of the Lord within you, which is born again through Christ, to breathe and to manifest what, what God created you to be. And... Um, so today we look at this term translated as rejoice, which is the good purpose of God and friend. Now let's, before we look at some scriptures here, and we have plenty of time to do this, um, we have to mention that there's another term that is regularly used in the New Testament to speak about rejoice. And that's based off charis, or grace. And to distinguish between these two terms, the rejoicing of grace is when you are moving forward in partnership with God as an intercessor and you are looking forward to something that he has promised, something that you have been investing the burden of the Lord in, and you also then, when you come into that, you offer that kind of rejoicing. It's the joy set before. It's the objective. It's, it's that promise. You know, I was speaking with uh, my granddaughters last night, and for those of you who have not heard, we've been blessed. Uh, Kelly and Pastor Fabian have a a baby boy, little Levi Joseph. I did get to come into the hospital and see him yesterday and held him for quite a while and spoke blessing over him. Um, but I was talking to the twins last night, and, and you know, they they have some measure of, they want to be able to be with their brother and their mama, but they can't go up to the hospital due to COVID restrictions. And, you know, they they just struggle with that from time to time. And I told them, look, 
you're going to be here with Grandma and, and Papa and, and your Aunt KK for a while, a couple of days. And I know, you know, you like being here. We love you. We're going to do homework. We're going to do fun things. But you need to look toward what's coming. You need to look forward to a couple days from now when you'll go back home and your little brother will be there. Mommy and daddy will be there. And that's a fun thing. You, you may have to sacrifice a little bit right now, but you've got to keep your eyes on what's coming. And that's the way you get through things. You see the objective. You hold fast to that. I'm using little kids' terms, talking to them. And you move forward to it. Now, how much of that they heard, I don't know. I hope some of it sunk in. But um, that's that's the idea of, of um, the rejoicing that's founded in grace. It's exuberant. And it, it, it looks forward toward what's coming, what's been promised, what you're believing God for. And that's a different term than this, euphrano. And how how is euphrano then brought forward? Well, let's look first at Galatians 4, verse 27. For it is wit, writ, it is written, oh, wascally wabbit, for it is written, rejoice, there it is, euphrano, you barren that don't bear, break forth and cry, you that travail not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which has an husband. Now, this is a direct quote from Isaiah 54. We'll get there in a minute. Um, but for now, let's let's just consider what this is saying. And let's consider, you can, you can do this word study yourself. If you've got a Bible program that has Strong's built in, you can go to Rejoice, you click on it, you see Euphreno, and then you can search out where this word is used. It's a good study, just read it. Let the Spirit of God define what this word means. But some examples. Uh, in Luke 15, verses 22 through 25, this is when the fa- prodigal son returned. And the father said uh, in verse 22 to his servants, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and uh, let us eat and be merry. Merry is Euphreno. For this my son was dead, dead, and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. So both of those Marys are Euphreno. And this indicates that what that father was doing, which truly represents God the Father, was he was continuing to serve even though he had suffered by this prodigal with great gifts going into the world. And to him, the son was dead. He says it there. And there's, there's a certain measure. You can't just weep and mourn over somebody that goes south. You, you, you don't curse them, but you've got to, to set them aside as under the Lord. Bless them, but set them aside. Don't preoccupy or, or obsess over it. This, this was really speaking about continuing with the work of the Lord, continuing with the fields that are ahead of us. And um, 
believing that the Almighty was in charge. So they're making Mary based upon that continued devotion to what God had given them to do. Now, I don't want to go too far with this, but you know you had a, an older brother uh, who had been there and been faithful. He didn't like what his goofy brother did. And he had some issues to deal with. And um, he wasn't happy that his father was rolling out the red carpet here. Perhaps this elder son was so focused on the work that he had lost the flavoring that his father was really emulating and, and portraying. Um, I don't want to be too hard on this older son. You know, you and I have both been in positions where somebody abandons their post or somebody goes AWOL or, God forbid, somebody goes after the demonic realm and you just, it's, it's, a, it's an unspeakable feeling. It's an unspeakable pain. And especially if they turn around and attack you or start saying things that are not godly, that, that adds to it. And you, you, you build up opinions on that. I mean, you, you don't like it at all. And, but you have to stay focused. And this is what the father said here. This, this, my youngest son was dead. That's what the scripture says. But now he's come back. And you, you've got to, um, you've got to segment that. That one that has gone away and not let them trouble you. Does it mean you're not concerned for them? No. But don't obsess over it. Set them aside. Don't curse them. Don't lay into them. Just set them aside and keep doing what God wants. This is why they were merry. They were focusing on the purpose that was at hand. They were staying in contact with the direction of the Spirit, and if you can do that, if you can do that, you will see that um, a lot of the things that could irritate the mind and irritate the emotions and irritate the memories will be, to a large degree, nullified. You know, love covers a multitude of sins. The love of the Father. It's not that you're being ingratiating or, you know, I've been around some people uh, in my life, I'm sure you have too, that they love little, let's just say, little Johnny so much that he can do anything he wants to do and they just say, oh, that's, that's all right. That's okay. Like the sons of Belial in the Old Testament who who did that unspeakable act in the tribe of Benjamin by really murdering and dismembering a woman. And all the other tribes came against this egregious behavior, but Benjamin wasn't going to give him up. They were of Belial. So I'm not talking about that. We don't excuse wickedness. 
But you have to learn how to segment that away and keep seeking the Father. Now, he may say, we don't know what the Father, the Father was watching, which means as an overseer, he wasn't just watching, pining for that boy to come back. For him, this guy was dead. But he was, he was there functioning in his supervisory role. And when he saw the boy coming afar off, he went to him. But that one's got to come back. You don't go searching. We don't see that this, this father sent out a search team. You know, he wasn't Ben Cartwright sending Adam and, and Hoss to find little Joe. You know, you just got to, you've got to leave him go. You've got to let him go. And, um, but this indicates that they were, they were seeking the things of the Spirit. And I would say that the older brother didn't recognize this because obviously he was not. He was working, but he was not moving in the things of the Spirit, almost like Martha. Martha, Martha, you are troubled about many things. Mary has chosen the better. They still had work to do. Um, somebody had to feed all those guys. But um, this is a, a really unique thing for us. And we'll get we'll get back to this idea when we get back into the Old Testament, but some other places that this term is used, and you'll see this as you as you study. The rich man and Lazarus. The rich man was functioning in the things of the of the spirit, but it was a demonic spirit. It was the spirit of the world. Um, there was a, another instance of a rich man who was had a great harvest, and he. He built bigger barns, and he made merry, and he was, in the parable, the, the Lord said, you know, you, you're not guaranteed tomorrow, but I think in, in our world today, we see a lot of things going on, which is um, lascivious behavior, wealth, and the ignorance of wealth, partnering with demonic spirits or the spirit of this world or seducing spirits or even self, uh, self-proclaimed human spirits. And for them, that's what... That's what they're making Mary in. The world in the book of Revelation um, made Mary when the two witnesses of the Lord were killed and were laying dead in the streets. That is really the spirit of this world that we're seeing around us, isn't it? I'm I'm appalled by the things that are said by people in the world or in the media about Christians and about people who believe the Bible. And it's it's a spiritual wickedness in high places. And people can invest the capacity of rejoicing in the Euphreno toward those kinds of wicked 
demonic pursuits. Even in the New Testament, when it speaks about those that constructed the golden calf with Aaron at the base of the mountain when Moses was meeting with God, they made Mary, and they were they were being influenced by their own capacities and highly driven by the demonic. And um, so this type of rejoicing is is devoted to that capacity God has put within us to partner with his spirit and to to gain individual understandings from the spirit as to tactics and as to what to do what not to do and and as opposed to the rejoicing of carol which is a grace pursuit um i would say that that type of rejoicing with grace is more focusing on the end end result the um the euphreno is rejoicing as the spirit gives bit by bit on a strategic level as we go along in the pathway and yeah in life you have to you have to do both of those things in the spirit you have to for the joy set before you the, the grace targets set before you you have to keep your 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 focus on on the on the prophetic fulfillment you have to do that but with that you need to spend time with the lord and rejoice in the smaller things rejoice in the steps rejoice in the the way the light shines upon the pathway you're not at your end result yet you're not you're on the path but you got to learn how to as the spirit shines the light on the pathway through the word you got to you got to learn how to rejoice in those things because some people can't do that or they won't do that maybe that's better they won't do that because you know god can give God can give an amazing visitation or amazing understanding and they'll receive it, but then they gripe because they're still in this hard place. You know, the Apostle Paul and Silas who were beaten in that prison in the depths of the jail for doing the work of the Lord, for engaging in spirit-directed spiritual warfare, at the midnight hour, in pain, they're singing, <coughs> excuse me, praise to the Lord. You have to, this is, this is a key to ground level partnership with the Spirit. It's, it's knowing God, but it's, it's rejoicing as you walk on the pathway. And a lot of people just won't do this. First of all, because they don't want a new understanding, because it, it always costs them something, and they have to adjust. It's very difficult for a prideful person to do, 
And it is, it can be difficult for an educated person to do. And it certainly is difficult for a pastor that's trying to keep up appearances and you got to please your board or you got to please the people who sit in the back pews or the, the, the biggest tithers. You don't want to offend them. So spirit, please don't guide us in something that might not be as attractive. In fact, these people may bolt and go down the street to the church that's been competing with you for years. That's just the way it is in churches, believe me. But for us personally, we have to rejoice in the things that the Spirit is saying to us every day. And we need to express that sometimes in in, in just singing, or sometimes in even in some kind of prophetic expression, waving a banner, dancing, or just telling the Lord you love him, just embracing him. This making Mary uh, in, in uh, Luke 15, uh, it wasn't just a hoedown. It was, it was a rejoicing because they had found for the work's sake, someone with giftings who is devoting themselves in humility to get back in the battle. That was the onus of this. And um, you don't just want them back. You want them back with humility, willing to submit to whatever God wants to do in the pathway, whatever the work is. I suspect that both of these sons had challenges with this, which is why this younger prodigal, the prodigy man, he took off. He wasn't, he wasn't having any more of it. The older one was sticking with it, but he obviously wasn't in the spirit. So this is interesting. But then you see how the enemy could influence in the midst of the deposits of the glory when Moses was at the top of the mountain getting the commandments from God. Down at the base of the hill, you had people that were receiving things in the spirit. But what spirit? They were in the moment, but what were they doing in the moment? And they were making merry while they were making a golden calf. This is something that is happening in our world right now. And so, as we sometimes I look at things that are happening in across the world and I see the way there are steps almost unbelievably steps that are being taken toward the restrictions of the demonic kingdom in the end time and see the way the world rejoices in them it's 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 ridiculous and so we're we're going to see that more and more <laughs> and in fact in revelation as you do this study you'll see that not only are the the the, the world rejoicing at the two witnesses but god uses this twice when his in heaven and amongst the saints when his judgments are being released and the rejoicing in heaven and the rejoicing amongst the people of God is not vengeance it's the rejoicing that God is acting upon the culmination 
of this battle that's been going on through the ages for the purpose of God, that's been resisted by the enemy and by those minions who follow him as the sands of the sea. Now, we said that Galatians 4 is a direct quote from Isaiah. So let's look at Isaiah 54. Instead of rejoice, euphrano, in the Old Testament, this is renan, or further, rin. Sing, O barren, you that did not bear. Break forth into singing, there's that root. And cry aloud, you that did not travail, or chul, or partner in the circular dance or circular motion of of intercession that brings forth the ways of God and what God wants to create. For more of the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Let them stretch forth the curtains of your habitation. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, strengthen thy stakes, for thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and your seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. Wow, that then that's a stem winder. We've we've loved that. We've talked about strengthening the stakes, lengthening the cords, all of these wonderful promises. How does it begin? You've in the midst of seeming barrenness, you have to learn how to partner with the toe purpose of God and rejoice with him at every step. What is the grace promise? Well, it's all these wonderful things. You're going to inherit the seed of the Gentiles, the desolate cities inhabited. That's the end result. But how do you get there? You keep moving in the things of the Spirit. Perhaps you sing. Perhaps you just proclaim de- declaratively. You know, this term, <clears throat> as it's translated as sing, doesn't just mean to to uh, to break out in melody. I've heard some people sing, and it's it's not pleasant. Not... Not here to criticize your atonality, but this doesn't just mean being able to melodiously proclaim something. This is more of a composition. This is more of a, oh, what wonderful, what wonderful insight this is. What has God said? I just, it's more about the composition than the presentation. But the presentation is something that is enacting upon what God has shared. And there's power in that. There's power in that. So the beginning of the pathway of the barren to experience all of these things, and including that that partnership with his ways, which is what Chul speaks of, is embracing the moment in the Lord cherishing each thing that he shares it's like in the in the in the bible in the old testament it speaks about the word is like honey in my mouth and how pleasant it is and so it's an expression of these things but it is more so the participation and the willingness to embrace this 
And so, so you see how that lines up with, in the New Testament, euphreno, don't you? It is your spirit communing with God, bent upon the good purpose of God, and you, with every stage of partnering with God, you cherish the moment. Because again, we've said this how many times? God is all about the journey with you. It's the walk of faith that he cherishes. The end result is not in doubt. God's word is forever settled. What God said is going to be. That's the angelic viewpoint. And I'm thankful for it. They view things as if it's a fait accompli. This is what God said. This is the way it is. Why are you doubting this? But it's for us to feast upon the moments in the Lord, to partner with him, and to rejoice in every step. This is our fuel, our passion, as we're walking in the midst of what seems to be barrenness. Yes, we're focused on the end result, the promise, but we are cherishing each moment with him. We may not be cherishing the pathway, but the one who's with us on the pathway. Now, you can do a study on this word too. I plucked a few of them out for you. The people in the presence of God. Leviticus 9, verse 23, 24. Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of the congregation and came out and blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the people. And there came out a fire from before Yahweh and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat. And when all the people saw or experienced this, they shouted, fell on their faces. They shouted. They proclaimed what they were experiencing in the spirit. This wasn't a shout of fear. You know, Mark Burke, our resident evangelist here, he wrote a book about a booklet on Kradzo. That's another tool in the in the arsenal of the Lord, but that's more of a battle cry. It's more of a, a shouting the alarm in the battlefield. And that's a treasured part of the scripture. This was not that expression. This was they had experienced something in God. They were in the moment in the Spirit. They were witnessing this visitation of the Spirit. They were all in alignment. And they were then going to be in shachah, on their face before God. And whatever they said, whatever they proclaimed was in alignment with what God's Spirit had just done and was doing right then. This is something we need to perceive. Job 38.7, the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy, um, or who shut up the sea with doors. This is something that happens in the heavens. As, you know, I think this is kind of in alignment <clears throat> with the portrayal of Halal where you meticulously see God's going to do this. Look at how it's coming together, the beauty of holiness. Bit by bit, with each juncture, a 
how God's doing a thing, how he's ministering with you, how he's encouraging you in the pathway, how he's embracing you, how he's instructing you, how he's leading you, how he's guiding you. This is, is, is valuable beyond words that we cherish and depict, proclaim, dare I say sing, express the goodness of the Lord that right then in the Spirit is being imparted to us. Psalm 78, verse 65, his old Don Potter song. Then the Lord awaked as if from his sleep, like a warrior overcome with wine. Well, right there in the middle of it, the Lord awaked as one out of sleep, like a mighty man that shouteth by reason of wine. Shouteth by reason of wine. Now, let's talk about this. A lot of people think God is drunk. <laughs> uh, and, you know, being somebody that most of his life was told, don't imbibe any alcohol, then I still think that's a pretty good maxim. Um when we began traveling in Europe, we recognized that drinking wine at a meal was not necessarily uh, a a drunken fest, not a drunken Bacchus fest. The drinking of wine was a fellowship. It was something that you enjoyed as you ate your meal, and you it was more about fellowship. Now, some people can be overcome with it. Don't get me wrong. But you have a hard time taking the stance that I was brought up with when you recognize Jesus' first miracle was at the end of a wedding feast when people had already imbibed all the wine and Jesus made more and better wine. And the vine dresser and uh, the, the, the husbandman who looks over the wine. And, uh, you know, we've got that in Scripture. So this is really speaking to me we're shouting is this term that we've been studying is is more of a fellowship with God when it seems like God is not moving. The Lord is there. His plan is there. He's a mighty man. But it, you wonder, Lord, what are you doing? How can you let this go on? And, you know, the mindset would say, well, maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's this is what the scripture says. Why isn't he acting? I don't know. I just don't understand. I just don't understand. I bound, I rebuke, I blew the shofar, I got the prayer chain going, and it just seems like nothing. Did you ever hear somebody indicate that? Well, it's not about all your shenanigans, as noble as they may be. It's about you fellowshipping with the Lord during the time when it looks like He's not doing anything where it looks like he is a mighty, but he's not exerting any of it. God always does that kind of thing. Do you ever notice that? <laughs> People say, how long, O oh Lord? Or they'll say, Are, or, do you not see, do you not care that we perish? How many times have you read that in Scripture? The disciples in the boat, Lord, carest thou not that we perish? We're prone to think that as humans. As much as we love the Lord, and he's right there with us. 
But the God of eternal plan, who is mighty to save, bigger than any other force by far, seems like he's not doing anything. But he is doing something. I love this verse. This one's coming alive. He is having fellowship, the new wine, and he's expressing to those who are with him those indications of what's happening in the spirit in that pathway, waiting on the timing of the Lord, why patience is the first sign of the apostolic. It's there for us. And this word is used of God. Wisdom, Proverbs one twenty. wisdom cries without. Wisdom is speaking in that pathway. She utters her voice in the streets if we listen. Lamentation 2.19, arise, cry out in the night, in the beginning of the watches, pour out your heart like water before the face of the Lord. Lift up your hands toward him for the life of your young children that faint for hunger in the top of every street. When you cry out in the night, you are communing with God. And I love what Psalm 149 says. Psalm 149, you should do a study on it. Because it just pegs so many powerful words of praise and and worship. One by one, it's like an index. But there it says that the saints are sharing this kind of thing with God in, in on their bed at night. You're communing with God. You are in that point of purpose. You're not exasperated. It's not like you know you're 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 afraid or you're scared you're communing with the lord but you are expressing but it's an intelligent expression based upon what the spirit is guiding you in we've got to learn this and then you see in psalm 149 the great promise of what god's going to do in judgment it's very much akin to psalm uh, to isaiah 54 where this same thing, if you, if you partner with the Lord, then the end result of grace is I'm going to do these things. But you have to keep your focus on that, but you also have to, point by point, be expressing, cherishing what God is revealing, moment by moment. So I think that this is a gift for us in this time, we we look and we say, God, look at what's happening in the nations. Look at what's happening. And, you know, our government is just haywire. And there are so many things that are happening that are just wicked or, or insane. There are things that it's just abominable. You never thought you would see them in the land of the free and the home of the brave or the land of liberty and justice and fidelity in France or, you know, what what, what in the world? Why are you letting this happen, you might think? Keep your eye on what God has promised. But day by day, rejoice in him. It may seem barren now, but rejoice in him. Keep committed to his purpose, his ways. It may seem like God 
is a million miles away. Maybe it seems like he sleeps, but it only seems that way to the mind and to the soulish part. God is right there with the wine, the cup of his fellowship, and he's speaking to his people. He will awake. He will avenge his purpose. But the beauty of it all is to be with him in the midst of the valley when the shadow of death is around. There's a table there for you. Enjoy him. And I I so appreciate the intercessors that around the world are embracing this. We we are one in the Lord before the throne. I I I'm so grateful for so many. I mean I I remember uh, that we have intercession going on in Florida. We have intercession going on in Arizona. We have intercession in other parts of the world. I mean, I, I remember our our dear teacher, uh, Shay Monahan, out in Arizona, opining upon this passage and what a, what a treasure uh, it is to know that we have teachers that are delving into the depths of the Spirit and ministering them before the Lord. But we all need to do this. We all need to do this. So, rejoice. Yes, the rejoicing of grace. Yes, the kradzo shout of battle and calling out to the Lord. But this one, when it seems that barrenness reigns, when it seems that all is lost, when it seems that God might be distant, you don't understand why. Remember, that in the natural, it only seems that way because God is with you. And those times are times when we need to drink of the cup of the Lord, fellowship with him, hear him, learn of him, and enunciate his presence. Sing, proclaim, dance, Concerning those things that God is sharing right then. Digest the meat of the word. And that fellowship that is so precious. That's the most important thing we will ever know. Listen, I've lived through, and I know we're past time, I'm almost done. I've lived through great, visitations of the Spirit. I've seen God come in mighty, delivering fashion. We, we, we have, haven't we? But you recognize that those things come and then you are being led into the next thing. You can't build your life just on miracles that Cause everybody to say, woohoo! You build your life on fellowshipping with the one who gave himself for us and with the purposes of the Father at his throne and cherishing each moment with him because that's the essence of everything we know in God. And that's why God causes his spirit to dwell in us. 
and it's devoted to his eternal purpose, but our affections, our understandings are formed by that daily walk. So, I I ask you to consider this. You can study this for yourself. And don't just study it. Begin to cherish it. See how God has been doing this through you or inviting you to do it for years. And then go forth from this point with a renewed vitality as you do this that we are really walking hand in hand, heart in heart, on the fields of faith with our God. Thanks for joining us. God bless all of you, and we will look forward to being with you again soon. And until that time, goodbye.